0: Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to Celebrating 60 something. I have to tell you, I am loving this Christmas season. And you know what's helping a lot? The snow. We haven't had snow for a long time through the whole month of December up until last week, and it just didn't feel like Christmas, no matter what I did. I mean, the house is all decorated, and if I'm being honest, it's a little over the top this year. My grandkids are coming on Monday, and I am just so excited that I have just decked the halls like crazy. And I'm excited about that. And my shopping was done early. I knew that I had to send gifts out of state, and so I did my shopping, most of it actually, before Thanksgiving. So I was on top of it this year, but I still wasn't feeling that Christmas spirit. And then the snow came, and that has made all the difference. So... That makes my heart merry, and I am excited to be here. I hope you are all enjoying the Christmas season, and I hope that you'll take a few minutes to just sit, to relax, have a cup of hot chocolate, sit by the fireplace, turn on some old Christmas tunes, and just be That's when I really feel the Christmas spirit is when I just take the time to stop with all the busyness and all the fuss and bother and just sit down and be. That's also a good time to listen to a Christmas story. But then so is it a good time to listen to a Christmas story when you're riding in the car or cleaning the house or whatever. That's when I put in the AirPods and just go like crazy. So whatever it is that you like to do when you're listening to a Christmas story, I hope that's what you're doing right now because I have three little short stories for you today, possibly four. We'll see if we do that or not. But the first one was sent in by Georgia Whitaker of Enid, Oklahoma. It is called A Christmas Shoebox, and it was written by Shari Cohen Forsythe. When I think of Hanukkah's past, I remember my parents' kitchen. The smell of crisp latkes fried in oil, the glow of colorful candles burning in the menorah, and the gold-foiled chocolate coins attached to each small present every night for eight nights. I remember singing Rock of Ages at my local Jewish community center, spinning plastic dreidels for hours and eating so many jelly donuts that my stomach would ache. When I think of the true meaning of the holiday season, my mind always takes me back to the time when I was a law student in Boston. As a Midwesterner in a distinctly New England university, I was often teased about my accent and my lack of knowledge of all things Bostonian. But I was enamored of the city, its rich history, neighborhoods, and cosmopolitan feel. Each day I relied on the gold dome of the Capitol to help me find my way to class. It was a time I felt most alive because everything was new. As I made the daily trek up and down the sloping cobblestone streets of Beacon Hill, my backpack weighed down with several thick law books, there was a purpose in my step. With so many colleges and universities nearby, it was a great city and a great time to be a student. One December, however, I found myself all alone in Boston over the holidays. Our law school had finals after winter break and I didn't have the money or the time to leave town to visit my parents. I decided that this was my penance for getting behind in constitutional law and I would spend the next two weeks huddled in the library, revisiting the law of search and seizure. Still, as my friends talked about their visits home and their vacations, I became increasingly blue. When a friend offered to take me home with her for Christmas for a couple of days, I didn't hesitate before saying yes. I knew that it wasn't an easy decision for her. She was from the northeast tip of the state and she had told me that she came from a very poor family. Her dad had been disabled for many years and her mom worked several jobs to keep the family afloat. My friend had cautioned me that her house wasn't much to look at and that what little furniture they had was old and tattered. None of that mattered to me. It was my first time celebrating Christmas and I didn't know what to expect. Talk about being a fish out of water! As our bus rolled into town, I saw the tired, gray, clapboard buildings one after another and had to admit to myself that it seemed a world away from my middle-class enclave in suburban Chicago. A bit of trepidation I had dissolved when I met her mom. She was warm with kind, brown eyes just like my friends. She immediately gave me a big welcoming hug, something my own mom would have done for any friend of mine. The tiny kitchen was already full of pans of baked goods, Christmas cookies, and presents. There was lasagna in the oven and sausage and peppers on the stove—a nod to my friend's father's Italian heritage. I had purchased a small gift for the family, but noticed that the tree was adorned with dozens of beautifully wrapped gifts. Perhaps I should have brought a few more. On Christmas Eve, I accompanied the family to their local parish for Mass. I hadn't spent much time in church and didn't want to stand out. I had no idea what the customs were, but I arrived in my holiday finery and nervously smiled at the other congregants. My friend ushered us to the back of the church so that it wouldn't be so obvious when I didn't kneel or take communion. I remained seated in the pew throughout the service on the holiest day of the year. My friend later told me someone asked what had happened to that lovely young lady's legs. Everyone there assumed that I couldn't walk, not that I wasn't Catholic. The next day we exchanged gifts. I certainly didn't expect anything from my hosts, after all, they could hardly afford their own presents, and I was grateful that they had taken me in on such short notice. I was surprised when my friend's mom handed me not one, but three gifts. The first was a homemade banana bread wrapped in aluminum foil and a blue bow. Next was a beautifully wrapped shoebox. I opened it carefully and inside was a small, golden menorah. The third present contained the candles to light. This little Irish Catholic lady had knocked on the door of the only synagogue in town and had spoken to the rabbi there. She told him that a young Jewish woman would be staying with her over the holidays and asked what he thought she would like for Hanukkah. I learned many lessons that day about the true meaning of giving and I learned that simple acts of kindness can remain in your heart forever. The sweetness of that Christmas so many years ago is the benchmark by which I measure each and every Hanukkah. That is just such a sweet little simple story, but it teaches us so much. I love hearing a story about people respecting and even celebrating people's different beliefs and ideals and cultures. There is so much divisiveness in the world today, but those of us who are 60-something can remember a time when people came together more easily and more often. People do band together after a tragedy, like the people devastated by the tornadoes in uh, Kentucky did last week or so. Neighbors went about helping neighbors, even though they themselves had lost everything. It's very touching and heartwarming to see the spirit of that togetherness after something like that. But in other areas, as a nation, we're pretty much divided. So divided, in fact, that people have ruined friendships, argued with family members, rioted, looted, and even killed others because they saw things differently. How sad. In my office, I have pictures of Jesus Christ. They help me focus on the big rocks like I mentioned last week. But I also have a menorah on my shelf with a statue of Buddha. I love what those symbols represent and what they teach, along with so many other symbols. I hope we can try a little harder to be just a little more inclusive and find what we have in common instead of focusing on our differences this Christmas. Thank you, Georgia, for sending in that sweet story. Our next story was sent in by Anne Marie Briggs of Trenton, New Jersey. It is called Home for Christmas. I watched as a handsome young man came through the airport terminal late that night with self-assurance and confidence beyond his years. He must have been the last person off the plane, which was so late in arriving that the terminal was all but shut down for the night. Perhaps he waited for the pineapple-toting vacationers, some college kids, and the rest of us to disembark and clear out of the public areas. Or he took a minute to compose thoughts and feelings, or to wash up and look at his reflection in a mirror on the men's room wall. Wearing civilian clothes, he could have been mistaken for a student, a musician, or a junior partner in some law firm. He was none of those. He was a soldier coming home for the holidays. I was privileged to watch. Family members that included an anxious mom, a preteen girl holding a hand-drawn Welcome Home poster, and a few other adults and children had been waiting for a long time. They were restless. A gentleman in a suit and tie waited with them. He wore medals of combat on his chest and a VFW hat was on his head. An honor guard of sorts. They were positioned where they could see the passengers descend on the escalator, head for baggage claim, and then to the cars waiting at the curb. I stood back, unnoticed, to wait with them. The kids saw him first and the excitement grew. He rode the escalator down and saw them waiting. Hugs, tears, and camera flashes from the family, then a quiet handshake from the older veteran said what words could not. The young man then turned to his mother. She fell into his open arms. I am sure this was the moment she had waited and prayed for, the hope that kept her strong. He lifted her off the ground and hugged her for a long time. Their laughter and tears collided. As they all began to walk away, I touched his arm, and when he turned to me, I thanked him for his service, welcomed him home, and wished him a Merry Christmas. I'm sure he will not remember me, but I will never forget him. After reading that short, sweet story, I couldn't help but think of the Christmas the year I was seven years old. I had an older brother who had just turned 20 a couple of months before that and who had joined the Air Force. He had been stationed in the state of Washington, but was able to come home on leave for Christmas. I can remember how happy we all were to have him home. Mom, as she was wont to do, staged a scene where my brother walked in the front door in his full uniform and surprised her. This was all so that my dad could capture the whole scene with his 8mm camera. Of course, there was no sound in those days, just a grainy picture. But my brother, laughing, (laughs) cooperated, and my dad caught on film the vibe my mother wanted. Two days later, while climbing the mountains near our home with a friend, my brother slipped and fell to his death. My mother couldn't be consoled, and there was a gloom that hung over our home for months. The song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, brought back all those sad feelings for my mother every Christmas after that. Although I love that song, I can't hear it without feeling some of the sadness I felt as a seven-year-old over 60 years ago. I have a special feeling in my heart for all the mothers of service men and women who sacrificed so much for us. To all the military mothers now and in the past, Merry Christmas. Okay, this last story reminds me of some of the shenanigans my own children would pull around Christmas time. It also takes me back to the Christmas when I was 12 years old. It is called A Clue for Christmas and it is written by Christine Jarmola and it was sent in by Mary Hawthorne of Salt Lake City, Utah. My parents didn't go out on dates, not even on their anniversary. Their once a year exception was to my mom's Sunday school class Christmas party. It was a major event for my mom, who would dress up in anticipation of the party and then regal people with stories about it for years after. But one year, my two brothers and I had an even better story, one that we never shared with anyone. My parents left that evening with the usual attitudes. Mom was excited about going and Dad didn't like social situations. We were old enough to be left alone, although they felt compelled to warn us not to fight or set the house on fire. My 12-year-old brother, Trent, three years my senior, was officially in charge, as he was the oldest. With the parents out the door, we settled in for a binge of once-a-year Christmas television shows, starting with A Charlie Brown Christmas and ending with How the Grinch Stole Christmas. We enjoyed the annual shows, but were distracted by the Christmas tree in the corner of the room. Not actually the tree, but those wrapped gifts underneath. It was family tradition for our mom to take us each shopping separately so we could buy a gift for each of our siblings. Sometimes we bought what the other wished for, but more often we were influenced by our own wants. That year, Trent had wanted the board game Clue, so he bought it for my middle brother, Tracy. It seemed like an impossibly long wait until Christmas morning, and it was as if all those brightly wrapped gifts were calling to us. One in particular was a rectangular box whispering over the sound of the television. Play me! Play me now! And so we did. Trent carefully unwrapped the gift, being ever so careful not to tear the paper, and then oh so gently pushed the wrapping to the side. And there it was. Clue. For the next hour, we clandestinely played Clue. Every few minutes, we would panic, thinking we had heard our parents' car pull up. One of us would run to the window to check. For the first time ever, we didn't have a single argument. Not once did I threaten to call mom. Not once did my brothers threaten to kill me if I did. It was a Norman Rockwell Christmas card evening as three angelic children gathered around the coffee table rolling dice and wondered if it was Colonel Mustard in the billiard room with a candlestick or Miss Scarlet in the dining room with a lead pipe. When we couldn't bear the fear of getting caught any longer, we rewrapped the gift, putting it on the back side of the tree just in case our mom could tell we had tampered with it. On Christmas morning, it was the first gift Tracy opened, not because he was eager to find out what it was, but rather to undo any likelihood of mom noticing its shop-worn wrappings. I'm surprised to this day, she didn't catch on that something was amiss as he gave the worst overacting, enthusiastic, surprised performance ever displayed for a board game. Forty years later, I have somehow inherited that clue game. While with my own children, whether the killer was Professor Plum in the conservatory or Mrs. White in the kitchen, I remember how long ago three co-conspirators played all evening without a clue as to how special that Christmas together was. Isn't that just a sweet little story? When I was 12 years old, I was checking out the gifts under the Christmas tree. Now, I mentioned on an earlier podcast that my parents would put numbers or colors on the tags instead of our names, so we didn't know which presents were actually ours until Christmas Eve. We had long since deciphered which color or number we were when I realized I could see through the wrapping paper on one gift, which I knew to be mine, and I saw that it was a mousetrap game. I was a little discombobulated by that. I felt I was too old for a mousetrap game. But I also felt like giving up toys at Christmas time was something I could never get back again. I was going to be 13 on my next birthday and clothes were important to me, but so was hanging on to childhood and the magic of Christmas. I discussed getting the game with my sister as we delivered plates of cookies to our neighbors on Christmas Eve, and I decided I was excited to be getting a game. It made me feel that I still had time to be a kid and I wasn't required to grow up quite yet. For some reason, that gave me a lot of comfort that year. Who knew you could get comfort from a mousetrap game? Childhood is a magical time, and although many years have passed since we were kids, I hope we can all find the child that is still inside each one of us. I hope we can bring her out this Christmas season and let her be happy and excited about the lights and the tree, the delicious food and the comfort and security we felt as a kid at Christmas time. The author, Laura Ingalls, said, Our hearts grow tender with childhood memories and love of kindred, and we are better throughout the year for having, in spirit, become a child again at Christmas time. I mentioned earlier that I had three short little stories for us tonight, but I decided to add one more because, like I have done on the past couple of podcasts, I like to end with the Glenn Rawson story. So tonight, this story is simply called Joseph. You know, as a baby, the Lord Jesus was as weak and vulnerable as any other child ever born. And so in the wisdom of God, a man was chosen as a protector of the Christ child and his mother. That man was Joseph the carpenter. I want to talk about Joseph for a few minutes. There's a principle that says, where much is given, much is required. Joseph was blessed with the love and the hand of the most beautiful maiden in all the land. Mary was a precious and chosen young woman. Yet, he was also entrusted to protect her and shepherd the development of God's only begotten Son. It was not a small trust. Now consider the following the next time you read the story about Joseph. Obedient to the angel, Joseph married Mary and named her child Jesus. What if Joseph had been an extremist and decided to have her stoned as an adulteress? Obedient to the law, Joseph returned to Bethlehem to be taxed with Mary, his wife, and thus he fulfilled prophecy. What if he'd refused and the trip was never made? Devotedly, upon arriving in Bethlehem, Joseph sought the best for Mary in the delivery of her child, going to numerous inns. But since no one would make room for them, at least he found a stable. And faithfully, Joseph brought Jesus and Mary to the temple to do for them after the Savior's birth, according to the requirements of the law of Moses. It was there that Simeon and Anna met them and thus fulfilled God's promise to the aged Simeon. What if Joseph had never come? And the wise men, humbly and appreciatively, Joseph accepted the gifts offered by them. What if he had been too proud to take charity? What then? Just imagine how the course of history would have been altered if Joseph had been slow to wake up and slow to obey when the angel came and warned him of the approach of Herod's murderous soldiers. Joseph was submissive to God. He fled into a strange land, taking Mary and the baby, and remained there until the angel bid him return. True to his role through the Savior's boyhood, Joseph taught Jesus the trade of carpenter and loved him deeply enough to seek him, sorrowing for many days when he disappeared in Jerusalem at the age of 12. Now consider this. When the Savior hung upon the cross at the end of his life, he committed the care of his beloved mother into the hands of John the Beloved, one of the apostles. So where was Joseph? Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe it was the death of Joseph that perfected the Savior's empathy sufficient to bring him to tears at the death of his friend, Lazarus, or moved him to restore the life of the daughter of Jairus and the son of the widow of Nain and enables him now to comfort us when we lose those that we love. He understands perfectly. Isaiah spoke of the Savior as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely Joseph, who loved him, could no more have escaped the pain that his son suffered than a parent who sees his child suffer now. Joseph the carpenter blessed not only the lives of Jesus and Mary with his faith and devotion, but indeed all of history. Thanks be to God for the man Joseph and the gifts he gave. May we also live and return such gifts to the Savior now. Well, that's the end of the storytelling for today. I do appreciate you listening. I also appreciate your comments and your suggestions, and we'll see after the first of the year if I can implement some of those. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Again, I'm releasing a podcast on a Friday, but I hope that this coming week, the week before Christmas, is something really special for you and that you find that little moment to be alone with your own thoughts at this Christmas time and find the peace and comfort that this season can bring. That's all I have, and we will see you next time on Celebrating 60-something. Bye!